morning. We are starting a new book. Where are we at? Galatians. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Still hear some rustling. It's a great sound right there. Galatians 1. Everybody there? Just about? Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. It's so good, Lord, to be together. Thank you for gathering us. We trust that the songs have blessed you, that you've been honored, that your name has been hallowed. The thoughts and meditations of our hearts have been pleasing to you. And Lord, now as we open our hearts to you, that you would minister to us in a special way. You would meet us, just as you're so faithful to do, as we open your word, and as we seek your face, to know you, to know your ways. We thank you for the great work you're going to do by your spirit. We're in desperate need of a fresh work this morning. And so we give you this time, we give you our attention, we give you our hearts. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We thank you again for all that you're going to do for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So the letter to the Galatians, um, it kind of, listen, if you guys like an outline, here's an outline for the book. The first two chapters of the book of Galatians are autobiographical. The Apostle Paul is explaining or giving an explanation um, concerning grace, God's grace in his own life. And so the first two chapters, Paul explains about grace in his own life. The second two chapters, the Apostle Paul um, will teach us, um, will give us the doctrine concerning the grace of God. And then the last two chapters are the application of God's grace. So we've received grace, right? By grace you've been saved through faith. And Jesus gives us layer upon layer of grace in our lives. And so what does that look like practically in our lives? What's the application as being recipients of God's amazing grace? That's the last two chapters. So we're going to look at uh, the first chapter this morning. Probably not going to get through the whole chapter and so let's just let's dive in, and we'll kind of get the context as we read through these verses. The Apostle Paul writes, God's Word says, Paul, he lets us know right up front who's writing, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. And then he tells us who he's writing to, to the churches, plural, of Galatia, 
And then Paul's common greeting of the day, grace to you, or common greeting from his letters, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul lets us know right up front who's writing. Remember who, what was Paul's name before he got saved? Saul, Saul of Tarsus, right? And remember who he was. He was a rabbi. He was a, uh, a Jew of Jews. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a um, Jewish religious leader uh, there in Jerusalem. And you guys remember he followed the, the Jewish law to, to its strictest measure. He lets us know his credentials before he got saved in the book of Philippians. Um, concerning the law, he was zealous keeping the law and making sure everyone else kept the law as well, the Old Testament law. And remember, he was a religious monster, you guys. Before he ended up getting saved, remember what he did? He was hunting down Christians to kill them. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine what that would look like here if there was somebody on the warpath coming after us, coming after your, your wife, your kids, your husband. That's, that was the reality of what was going on in Jerusalem. And then what happened? What happened was he was heading to Damascus. Remember, he's northbound, heading from Jerusalem. And what was he going to do? He was going to round up more Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to have them killed. And you remember what happened on that road to Damascus? Jesus met him and knocked him off his high horse, so to speak, broke him. He came in contact with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You guys remember the story? And he ended up surrendering his life to the Lord, radically transformed, obedient to God's call upon his life. Paul was a recipient, just like you and I are, of God's amazing grace. Not only did he receive God's grace, but he understood the power of God's grace. In fact, Paul would later write to Timothy that what Jesus did in his life, Paul said, he can do in any life. There is no one beyond the reach of God's grace, beyond being saved by Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. If Paul could be saved, he said, if I could be saved, anybody can get saved. And by the way, we have people in our lives, sometimes you think, man, I don't think they can get saved. There's no way. I mean, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's people that said that about me for sure. And maybe some of you all, too, some of the things we were involved in. And the Lord, by, by his grace, by his mercy, rescued us. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And so Paul understood the value and the, the power of God's grace in his life. And um, you remember the Apostle Paul um, was faithful to God's calling, wasn't he? He got saved. And immediately, what did he do? He was preaching. He immediately followed through on reaching out to people. It was approximately, check this out, approximately 12 years after the Apostle Paul got saved that he planted these churches in the region of Galatia. And it was on his first missionary journey. Remember what church they came out of? Antioch of Syria, right? It was in Acts chapter 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. He, took, he was with Barnabas, and who else? Who else was with him? John Mark, that's right. And they traveled. You remember they got the Holy Spirit, called them to go on this missionary trip. And so they take off from Antioch of Syria, and they cruise on over to the island of Cyprus. 
from Cyprus, from Cyprus, they travel northbound to modern-day Turkey, to those areas of Perga and Pamphylia. And you remember what happened there? It was there when John Mark bailed out. He took off. We're not told why, whether he chickened out or whatever happened. John Mark took off. And I believe, and, and there's a lot of Bible teachers that believe this too, that at this point in Paul in the missionary journey, Paul picked up some kind of an illness, some say malaria. He had some type of infirmity that he left that lower area of modern-day Turkey and traveled north by northeast to the regions of Iconium, Lystra, Derby. We read about that again in Acts 13 and 14. And the missionary effort that went there, Paul continued um, preaching the gospel. And he's going to say later, check this out, how do we know that? In, in, in this book, in chapter 4, you can look it up later, right around verse 13, the Apostle Paul reminded the churches that it was because of this infirmity, that's what brought him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. He left that region of, of lower Turkey to travel up northbound to the region of Galatia. It was an infirmity, an illness, and he said, when I was there, you would gladly give me your eyes. And so it may have been some kind of eye problem. But in any event, he continued to keep preaching the gospel. That infirmity didn't slow him down. He kept on keeping on being faithful to what Jesus called him to do. Aren't you grateful for that? I mean, we should be eternally grateful because his letters and his, the things that he did for Jesus are still impacting us to this day. And uh, what's interesting, though, is we read the, the, this uh, letter to the Galatians, those churches that the Apostle Paul planted, he's writing this letter because um, of a danger that was going on in the church. We're going to read in just a moment that the believers in those churches were ditching Jesus. They were turning their back on the Lord. I think it's crazy. I mean, this was approximately three years after the Apostle Paul had been there. And now the church is buying into false doctrine, a false gospel, and, and Paul is addressing these issues. He's going to straight up, as he begins this letter, he's going to deal with these issues right from the get-go. And so what was the issue? The, the, there was these guys called Judaizers. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Judaizers, they would travel and they would follow Paul. Wherever he was, he planted a church, did a, a mission work. And then when Paul would leave, Judaizers would come in. These men that would come to the church and they would infiltrate the church and they would say, it's great that you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. That's awesome. But now you also must get circumcised. Now you must also keep the law of Moses. Jesus was a Jew, therefore you must become a Jew also. And so that's not good news, is it? Is that good news? It's not. Paul's going to say that's a, that's a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't add anything to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished, paid in full. He didn't say, now you must make monthly installments and do this and do that. It's done. His complete work on the cross for you and for me. And so there were some turkeys in Turkey is what's going on. <laughs> Following Paul around, telling people that, you know, you've got to keep the law. You've got to, be, you've got to keep these religious holidays and all of this. And, uh, Paul has to remind them here because they, they questioned his, apost his uh, apostolic authority. 
They, they questioned his credentials. And so Paul, right from the get-go, says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So Paul reiterates his qualifications, right, for writing this letter. He was called by the Father and the Son as an apostle. What's an apostle? Sent out one. That's right. An ambassador. There is a sender. Who is our sender? It's the Lord, right? And he sent the apostle Paul. Um, he sent Paul as an apostle to be his emissary, his ambassador, to further the kingdom, to preach the gospel. Are there still apostles today? Not capital A apostles, because the 12 original apostles, they built the foundation. But small a, there, there certainly is, those that um, do pioneer works for the Lord, sent out, in, in a sense, Romans chapter 1 it's interesting, Romans chapter 1 speaks of we all have an apostleship. We are all sent out, aren't we? Are we all sent out? We're sent to do what? To preach the gospel, to make disciples. So in a sense, we're all called and sent by the Lord to share the good news with others. But not. And, and I always get literary people that say they're an apostle. It's just a little weird. <laughs> I'm apostle so-and-so, and you know. No, no it's... And, and Paul says his calling, his sending, wasn't connected to man. He wasn't appointed by a committee. There wasn't a vote. No vote was taken. He says, I'm not representing an organization or a denomination. Men didn't make me an apostle. Notice what he says. Paul was called and sent by the Father and the Son. So Paul lets the church, he reminds the churches right up front of his qualifications. And it's almost like Paul can't wait to talk about Jesus. Because look what he says in verse 1 there. He says, speaking of the Father who raised him, who's him? Jesus from the dead. The Father raised the Son from the dead. The payment that Jesus made for our sins was accepted by the Father. You guys, how do we know? Because he raised him from the dead. That's good news, isn't it, this morning? This is part of the good news. Jesus is alive. His victory over death is our reason for hope, you guys. Correct? Jesus said, because I live, so you too shall live. We can know that our first breath, our last breath here will be our first breath, breath, breath in his presence because of what he did for us. He who has the son has life. Man, that's glorious. We have an answer in the face of death because we all will face death, correct? Someday, unless the rapture comes, which I'm hoping for any moment. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But if not, and that's, that is great to know this morning that we have an answer in the face of death, that we will be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. And so the Father and the Son, they are still calling and sending. And notice Paul says also in verse 2, he says, it's Paul and the other brethren, the brothers who were with him, were sending this letter and notice to who, not just the church of Galatia, but the churches of Galatia. And so this, there was more than one church in that region. So it was probably a circular letter. It came to the churches and then they sent it around or made copies so that everybody would be able to read this and get the instruction um, from the Apostle Paul, ultimately from the Holy Spirit, we know. And so I think there's an important point here this morning. Part of Paul's calling and sending was also sending letters. Part of the Apostle Paul's calling 
and sending by the Lord was sending letters to people. Why? To help them. Right? We learn from 2 Corinthians that the authority we've received from the Lord is not for destruction or demolition, but for edification to build people up. So Paul was sending letters to build them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to warn them, to, to correct in some places. And, and here's the point that I want to make this morning. Paul was still representing Jesus when he sent letters when he wasn't communicating in person, he was still representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's, what's the deal with that, Mike? Well, here's the deal. When you go on social media, I don't go on social media. When you go on social media and post something, guess what? You're still representing Jesus Christ. When you are Twittering or tweet, what is it, tweeting, Twitter, whatever, you're still representing the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter where we go as his followers, we are still representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm saying that because I'm blown away by what some Christians put. Again, I don't follow people. Sometimes people send me stuff and they'll be like, check this out. I'm like, whoa, did that person pray? Did you pray before you put that up? Is that pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ? What's going on? Is that edifying or is that going to tear people down? It's like, okay, I have to take a step back and remember that no matter, no matter where I go, I am, I am representing as an ambassador of Christ. That's all of us, correct? We as ambassadors? Yes, as representatives? We are. And Paul, I think Paul understood that. He's representing Jesus. And he sent letters. And then he, and he says, here's the common greeting of the day, grace to you and peace from God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Where do grace and peace come from? The Father and the Son, right? What is grace? What is grace? It's, 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 it's God's favor. It's His kindness to you and me. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We didn't work for it. I love that acrostic grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. All of God's riches given to you and given to me because of what Jesus did for us. All of the spiritual blessings are yours and mine because of what Jesus has done. And he gives us that layer upon John chapter 1. And of his fullness we have all received, it says about Jesus, and grace upon grace. Layer upon layer of grace. The word in Greek is charis. And we get, we get a couple of words from charis. We get the word caress from charis. And we also get the word cherish from charis. Do you know that the Lord cherishes you this morning, brother or sister? Do you know that? Do you guys know that or no? Do you know he loves you? Do you know, he lo- Do you know that Jesus loves you? It is an unfailing love. It's not, it's not dependent upon if you've been a good boy or a bad boy or a good girl or a bad girl. It's not dependent upon that. He continues to love you regardless because he is love. That's a beautiful thing to be reminded of this morning. It's unfailing. He's not looking for anything in return. It's agape love. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, but he chooses to love us and lavish us with that love. He poured his love into our hearts. We never have to question that love. Why? 
The Bible says, by this we know love, that Jesus gave his life for us. One look to the cross to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. It reminds us of his love. It's not like he's, he's got like a, like, a, like a flower. He loves me. I love him. I love them not. No, no, no. Or you don't have to get a question. He loves me. He loves me not. No, no, no. He loves you with an everlasting love. Doesn't, it doesn't depend upon your performance. It's by his grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. Charis. He loves you. He cherishes you. And then he says, grace to you and peace. What's peace? Not a trick question, by the way. Is this, is this in between loading rounds? That's peace? Is that what peace is? What's peace? Absence of warring? I mean, that's a, that's a decent definition. Absence of warring. Because before we came to know Jesus Christ personally, we were at war with God, you guys. Shaking our fist, even if we didn't recognize it, we were going our own way. Not surrendered to him, not yielded to him, shaking our fist. But the moment we surrender to Jesus, Romans 5 tells us what? That now we are what? We are not only forgiven, we're justified, and we have peace with God. There's peace with God, but there's also the peace of God. Are you experiencing the peace of God this morning? That's about like 15%. I know some of you are tripping out, like watching the news, and you're anxious, you're biting your nails, maybe a little overboard of the comfort food. All it does is, listen, all it does is leave you an upset stomach, doesn't it? It's like you're oinking out because you want to just get calm. Be anxious for nothing. Does God mean nothing when he says nothing, or is it something? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because we, we let our guard down, don't we? No, just me. I'm the only guy that lets my guard down. You guys ever let your guard down? We do, don't we? And we go in panic mode. We're biting our nails and pacing back and forth, getting anxious, worrying. Did Jesus say that's a good thing, worry? So don't worry about anything. Your father loves you. Look at how valuable you are to him. What he did to purchase you, to make you his very own. Does God take care of those things that belong to him? He takes very good care of us. He told us to look at the birds. When's the last time you looked at the birds? How your heavenly father takes care of them. Look at, the flower, look at the flowers of the field, how your father clothes them. And look at your life. Look at how your heavenly father is taking care of you. It should be something that we can just go, I'm gonna, it's going to be okay. I have peace. Listen, Isaiah 26.3, if you're taking notes, God promises perfect peace to the mind that stayed upon him. It means I get my mind on the Lord and keep my mind on him. To give him the thoughts and meditations of my heart. 
And when those things do come across the, uh, the screen, right, where I'm hearing stuff and seeing stuff and I'm watching the news and I'm tripping out by the things I'm, I'm hearing, I bring those thoughts like we learned in 2 Corinthians. I bring them captive to the Lord and say, Lord, help me, help me figure this out. Lord, help me connect the dots spiritually. Lord, I'm, I'm getting anxious and my blood pressure's going up. And, I, you know, and what's gonna, what happens? You say, thank you, Lord. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I trust you. And then what happens? Boom. You got peace? It's like, where did that come from? And it came from him. Because he wants us to walk in peace, doesn't he? Does he want us to walk in peace or no? Sometimes, all the time. And so Paul says to the, says to the precious people, he says, grace to you and peace. And then he begins to talk about Jesus. Who? Look at verse 4. Who gave himself, Jesus gave his life for you and I. He laid down his life. He paid the price. He sacrificed himself. Jesus came to save sinners. That's all he has to work with, correct? That's all he has to... Did he come to save sinners? That's all he has to work with, correct? Is that every one of us here this morning? I didn't hear you. Amazing Grace... How, you guys know that song, Amazing Grace, how that saved a really good person like me? <laughs> Getting better and better. No, a wretch, a scumbag. I'm a lawbreaker. We don't like that. Do, we don't like to hear that, do we? That's the reality. Is that Jesus died for our sins, not for his own sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We've all broken the law, haven't we? You ever told a lie? What do you call someone that tells a lie? A, a lie, no matter what kind of lie. White lie, black lie, any kind of lie. <laughs> Correct? Bend the truth. Manipulate the truth. You ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? What do you, what do you call someone that does that? I've heard stealer so often. That's a football player from Pittsburgh. You're a thief. You ever use God's name in vain? You're, it's blasphemy. We've, broken, we've all broken the lab, correct? We're in need of forgiveness. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. We were once in rebellion to God. We were God's enemies. We were in bondage to sin. I love what it says here. He gave himself for our sins. We were headed to hell. It's okay to still say sin and hell, by the way. And blood in church. I know there's some churches that say it's not PC. But I'm going to say it. Jesus paid the price in his blood for our sins to save us from going to hell. And that's something to rejoice about this morning, right? Altuve goes deep. What do we do? <sighs> Jesus saves us from our sins. What do we do? <sighs> Thank you, Lord. You've saved us. You've rescued us from our sins. The stain, the guilt of sin is gone. Do you know that? The Bible says our sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. The stain is gone. The guilt is removed. Do you know that this morning, precious brother and sister? Let me see if I can illustrate. This morning, there was gum on the floor, stuck. We got cameras, so if you're chewing and leaving in here. No, just kidding. Can't, can't escape the camera. And I asked Andrew 
and the team, hey, can you get some goof off? You guys ever heard of goof off? They never heard of it. I'm like, really? <laughs> I know we got a bottle of goof off here somewhere or a gooby gone. Well, that's a little more familiar, right? And so Andrew gets the gooby gone, something like that, and he brings it up here and gets out his little rag, right? Is that the sound you made too, right? And then all of a sudden, guess what? The stain was gone. No way. And, everybody, and, and some people had never seen the product before. And, you know, and everybody was ooing and eyeing, maybe not that loud, because the stain was gone. There's still the rag though, right? Listen, your record is gone in heaven. Your sin debt, gone, forgiven. That should make all of us go, ooh, ah, what a great God we serve. Wow, what an amazing thing you've done, Lord. You gave yourself for our sins. And not just that, he declares us righteous. He imputes righteousness to our account. Something we can never earn or work for. Listen, Isaiah was so stoked about this. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read it. Isaiah 61. If you're taking notes. Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You know what that means? Every one of us has got a robe. A robe of righteousness. Is your robe better than my robe? It's all the same robes, aren't they? They don't wear out. Every one of us, when we received Jesus Christ, we received a robe of righteousness. We didn't, we didn't make ourselves right with God. We didn't earn that robe. We didn't work for that robe. It was simply when we placed our trust in Jesus Christ. And notice what it says here. It says, he gave himself for our sins and then that why he might deliver us from this present evil age. That word deliver means rescue for oneself. To rescue for oneself. Jesus took us to himself. This is a relationship thing. He took us to himself to rescue us. And notice what it says. In order to completely take us from this present evil age. This current pain-ridden wicked era. By the way, sin brings pain. Correct? Sin brings damage. Sin ruins lives. And God sent his son to rescue us from sin. This is so crucial. And that word, it's interesting, that word uh, evil also means evil that is not content unless it is drawing someone else with it. Evil that, in other words, evil that wants our company. And this present evil age had its grip on us, but guess what happened? Jesus came and did what? He rescued us, brought us to himself right out of there. A rescue has happened, you guys, in your life and in my life. Now and eternally, we have been delivered, rescued. I am now in his grip. I'm no longer in the grip of this present evil age. And listen, Jesus didn't, uh, Jesus didn't deliver us part way. And now you must pick up the tab. Or you must pick up the slack. He finished the work. We have been rescued by the Lord and brought into right relationship 
with God. Our right standing with God is not based upon anything we've done or earned. It's not by following rules. It's not by our willpower. It's not by our strength. We simply put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ and his complete work, and now we have right standing with God. That's good news, isn't it? We don't need to maintain right standing. We don't need to earn right standing. And please notice what it says at the end of that verse, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus accomplished the Father's will. Remember what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if there's any way this cup can pass, if there's any other way that mankind can be saved, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When we pray your will, do we pray that? You guys know the Our Father, correct? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When we say we want his will, We're saying, Father, I want your choice, your desire, your plans to happen in my life. And it's beautiful because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God wants the whole house in heaven filled up with people. And you've made the best possible decision now and eternally by choosing Jesus Christ. So beautiful. And now, but now listen, now as we walk with him, he's rescued us, he's brought us to himself, he's cherished us because of his grace, his love, he's brought us to himself, he's delivered us from this present evil age. And now as we walk with him, the best possible thing you and I can do is to follow Jesus' example and say, not my will be done, Father, your will be done. It's a surrender of my will to his will. And following Jesus, going his way, keeps us from a certain amount of pain and damage. Pain will come. But when we say, your will be done, your choice, Father, that is the best possible thing we can do. Why? Because God does this. He always gives the best to those who let him choose. Did you guys catch that? God always gives the best to those who say, Lord, you choose for me. So we say, Lord, I'd like to see it done this way. I'd like to see it happen, but your will be done. You choose what's best. And he always gives his best to those who let him choose. I'm seeing some blank stares. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Let me illustrate. Parents kid with kids or when you had little kids. Do you, do you remember... Or do you, I'm hearing a lot of, I'm hearing some little amening back there. You ever say this to your kids? Uh, Honey, try this food. It's it's really good. It's going to, it's healthy for you. And they say, no, I don't want that. I don't like that. And then you ask them, when did you try that? I've never had it before. Then how would you know? Correct? You guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about with that? This week, I was saying, I was talking to Alana. We were going to, uh. Spirit night over at Mexican restaurant. I said, honey, do you like rice? What kind of rice do you like? Do you want to have Mexican rice when we go there? And do, you, do you like chicken fried rice? He goes, I can't stand chicken fried rice. And I said, well, when have you had chicken fried rice? Never. I said, how in the world would you know if you like it or not if you've never tried it? 
correct? You guys know what I'm talking about? But when we want to help our kids, we know what's best for them. We want to give them what's best. So much more with our Heavenly Father. Let Him choose. Because we do that, don't we? Oh, I don't think that's the best choice for me. How would you know? You've never tried it. You never stepped out to go that direction. And then once you do, what happens? Oh, Dad, you're right. It's not as painful as I thought. This is actually okay. I didn't need to live with that or whatever. And I find out that your will, your ways are best. Amen? To whom, and then Paul just like, God, you're awesome. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Are you done, Pastor? No, I'm not. We still got time. Because this is so good. Because Paul just gets like right to it, right from the get. Look at what Paul says. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. Notice from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so, listen, the Galatians are way off course here. They're way off course, and the Apostle Paul is concerned. He cares. Why? Because he loves them. Because he loves these precious people. He, again, he came there, planted these churches, and now he gets news that what? They're bailing out on Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what the Apostle Paul must have went through? Think about the Corinthians. Remember, we just looked at the Corinthians, didn't we? He's there for two years investing in these precious people. He leaves, and what does he hear? They're, they're famous for sexual immorality. They're getting drunk at the communion table. They're suing one another. Their services are out of control. It's tongues of palooza, right? It's like anything goes with the spiritual gifts. Paul's like, what? So what does Paul do? He writes. He, hear, he, hear, he can't get there. So he does the next best thing. I can't get there, so what, what can I do? He writes a letter. That's an application for us this morning, isn't it? I can't get there, but what can I do? I can write a letter. I can shoot a text. I can do something to connect, help them get reconnected with the Lord. And so Paul's like, I'm blown away. That's what Marvel means. I'm blown away. I'm astonished. I'm, I'm shocked. He says, how the Galatians could so quickly ditch Jesus or desert him. Did you notice that? It's, it's not from a doctrine, not a religion, not a theology. You're turning away so soon from, from a person, from Jesus, from a personal relationship. The one who called you. He called you out of darkness unto himself. He rescued you unto himself. He's cherished you. He's caressed you. He's touched your life in a special way. And he's brought you to himself. And now you're turning your back on him? Are you kidding me? That's what Paul's saying here. I would say, listen, this morning, when you, when you accept another gospel, you are turning away from Jesus. You're abandoning him. That word turning away also means to change course, to deny an agreement that you made between someone. They're denying an agreement they made between them and God. 
And, and Paul says, you're turning away from the calling on your life. It's Jesus, look at it says, who called you. God called you into the grace of Jesus, into this sphere of grace. He's like, how in the world could you turn away from amazing grace? How could you depart from so simple and so glorious a salvation? But you know what, ha- you know what? it happens today. Did you, do you guys know that? There's actually some leaders in the church that have ditched Jesus. Turn their back on him. Some of them are still saying, oh, I love Jesus, but I'm accommodating my own opinions, my own, my own thoughts on, how, on, the, on what the Bible says. And they twist and manipulate the word of God. Listen, when you accept another gospel, you are leaving grace. When you accept another gospel, another good news, you are departing or leaving grace. Why? How can you say that, Mike? How, how does that happen? Because now, now it becomes about your efforts and how you're keeping little rules and regulations, things that a man will add to the complete work of Jesus Christ. For the Galatians, it was you need to add circumcision, you need to keep the law, you need to follow all the Sabbaths and do all that. You're adding a bunch of rules now to follow. Now it becomes about you and your efforts instead of the complete work of Jesus Christ. And guess what? When it, when it becomes about your efforts, it leads to pride. Because you're keeping all the little rules and stuff, and someone else isn't, and what begins to happen to you? You begin to look down your spiritual nose at them. Legalism produces hypocrites, guys. It, it produces religious monsters. How do we know that? Because that was the Apostle Paul. Correct? He knew, he knew firsthand in his own life what that produces, trying to keep rules and and making myself look better than other people because I shine up the outside, but inwardly my heart is wretched and dirty. The Pharisees, right? Jesus, didn't he say something about them like that? You're whitewashed tombs, you look great outwardly, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. Why? Because you can fake people out with your phony righteousness, but you can't fake out God. And what do we do? We walk around like Pharisees. Check out me. Check out my, check out, it was my robe of righteousness. Now I got some jeans of righteousness of my own. And, and, and what does God say about our own righteousnesses? Filthy rags in God's sight. I'm not going to like expound upon filthy rags, but it's pretty nasty. Just think about something that you use as a cleaning thing in your life. God looks at your own efforts of righteousness and says, that's dirty, nasty. Because of what it produces in our lives. And what, and what are we saying to God? That the sacrifice, that you sending your son was not enough. Now I need to add to that. Now I can better that. And that's blasphemy. It's wrong. There will be, listen, there will be no prideful boasting in heaven. There will be no strutting. Nothing man-made except for the scars on Jesus. Those man-made scars. The one who cherishes you, who spoke to you, Paul says. He called you personally. And the Galatians, it says right at the end of verse 6, the Galatians turned from Jesus to a different gospel, an infinitely inferior one. But it really wasn't a gospel at all. Look at verse 7. Paul says it's not another gospel at all. It's not good news. It's a perversion 
a distortion. It's not even worthy to be called a gospel or good news. It's a system of works where man thinks he can accumulate enough righteousness on his own. By the way, you know what that is? When we try to accumulate enough righteousness on our own, try to work our way to heaven, you know what that is? That's religion. Trying to make myself good enough to get into heaven. And again, we all fall short of God's glory. We can't measure up. It's not the gospel. There's only one gospel. We can't produce our own righteousness. What God has done was accomplished by him without our help. We are saved by Jesus alone. Are you with me? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, he said. And he says, there are some who trouble you. Some of these Judaizers, these turkeys in Turkey, some people, they want to make you literally, check this out, restless, full of anxiety and anxious thoughts, take away your calmness. And by the way, that's what happens when you receive another gospel, is anxiousness, is restlessness. Why? Because rather than rest in what Jesus has done for you and for me, now it's all about what I have to do to attain and maintain righteousness. You're trying to meet some standard that is impossible to keep, and you're always left wondering, did I do enough? Have I done enough? And it either leaves you bummed out and bitter or burned out, or it makes you full of pride, thinking you're better than everyone else. And notice this phrase. This is so crazy. It says in verse 7, there are some that want to, notice that, they want to pervert, they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Isn't that heavy? Some people want to pervert the good news. It's not accidental. Who does that? What kind of a person does that? Why would someone want to pervert the gospel? By the way, what is the gospel? It is the good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, we have a, a definition, real simple. If someone asked you, can you tell me a simple definition of the gospel? I sure can. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that, here it is, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's all about him. It's all about what Jesus did for us. It's not about what we do for him. It's not about how we rescue ourselves. It's, and you know what? It's so offensive to our pride. The pride of man, isn't it? Because what does the gospel say? It says, number one, it says, I need to be rescued. And number two, I can't rescue myself. And number three, I can't take credit for it. Because we like to take credit, don't we? Verse five told us what? It's to him be all the glory forever and ever. They've corrupted the gospel. It also means to turn. They turn the gospel from solely being about Jesus and what he has done to what man must do. If you add anything to the gospel, it perverts the gospel. 
corrupted in the sense that these guys are acting dishonestly. They've made some unauthorized alterations to the good news, and they have contaminated what is pure and holy and glorious. And this is clarity. And Paul says, look at verse, we're going to finish up here. But even if we, Paul says, including himself, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, if myself or any other Christians, any other preachers or teachers, including an angel from heaven, including the angel moron, Mor Moroni, moron I. You get a different gospel, let that person, angelic being, be eternal. Accursed means eternally damned to hell. Set apart with no hope of being redeemed, doomed to destruction. It's heavy. As we have said before, we told you this already. So now I say again, I'm repeating myself. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That person is doomed. It's two times Paul pronounces a curse. By the way, this is true for anyone. Paul includes himself, no matter what minister, teacher, pastor, preacher, little old lady with the sweetest blue hair you could ever find. No matter how prolific someone's ministry is, no matter how many likes they got, no matter how many, no matter how many followers they got, or how, what their website looks like, if a gospel is false, it is not just wrong, it cannot save you. And if you are presenting a, go a different gospel, woe unto you. Don't expect to be on the right side of God. You are doomed. What Paul says here, Listen, people are in danger of being lost eternally, and today is no different. Do you guys know that today is no different? Sadly, people today are recanting their faith, abandoning the gospel. Pastors modifying the gospel, saying what sin is and what sin is not. We can, uh, I still love Jesus though. Right? I still love Jesus. And, and, you know, we can live according to the standards of the morals of this evil age. I still love Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my word, keep my commandments. Paul is concerned, and this is heavy because he loves them. Can I encourage us this morning? Don't become an editor of God's word. Don't become an editor of the gospel, adding and subtracting from what God has said. And listen, if you are not settled in God's word, you are, you are susceptible to, to deception. If you're not rooted and grounded in God's word, listen, this morning, if this is not the most important influence on your life, you are susceptible to deception. How do I know that? Why would I say that? Because what does the Bible say? What did Paul say to Timothy? In the last days, there will be a great falling away. A departure from Jesus, a ditching of Jesus, departure from the faith. Why? Why would there be a great departing from the faith? 
Because it says, people will not endure sound doctrine. Do you know it takes a little bit of endurance to sit here for 45 minutes? Like, yeah, pastor, sitting through you for 45 minutes. Yeah. Take some endurance. I don't mean to make light of that at all. Because we'll endure a lot, won't we? We will endure a lot. Paul says, in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. What will they do? They will heap up, means to pile up, teachers that will what? Tickle their ears, scratch their itches. They will accumulate pastors, preachers, ministers that will tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. I see it all the time. It's, it's sad. But God told us that would happen. No longer in Bible study. No longer seeking the Lord together with those who call, out of the, call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. And they go somewhere where they'll get entertained. And it's tragic. Great deception. Listen, don't ditch Jesus. Can I encourage you in that this morning? You guys know, if you've been here for any amount of time, I'm like a one-string guitar. Stay close to Jesus. Twang. Stay close to Jesus. Twang. There he goes again. Stay close. Listen, stay close to Jesus. He will never let you down. He'll never drop the ball on you. And you know what? Don't turn from the good news. Don't ditch Jesus, even, even if it means prison. Because that may be in our future. Even if it means getting our heads lopped off. Because the, the best is yet to come, isn't it? The worst thing can happen, you get a new head, right? You get a new body. <laughs> Zoom right into the Father's house. <laughs> And he finishes in verse 10. We'll finish this morning right here. For do I now persuade men or God? Am I seeking to comply with what men want or what God wants? Am I looking for man's approval or God's approval? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Listen, gang, God wants us to simply share the good news with others. Not to tweak it, not to twist it, to share the truth in love. And guess what? It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. It's not you. It's not me. It's not our degrees. It's the gospel that has the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. My job, your job, is to tell the truth and love, to share the truth, to make disciples. We're not called to make people happy. We're called to make disciples. Correct? He says, listen, if I'm seeking to make men happy, if I'm still a man pleaser, then I wouldn't be a servant of Jesus. The problem with another gospel, as we close, a perverted gospel is that it makes you a man-pleaser rather than a Jesus-pleaser. 
legalism, religion. It makes you a man pleaser and not a Jesus pleaser. Can I just encourage you? You can't please men. That's bondage. And by the way, Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You're trying to serve men, please men, get the approval of man. You're going to get worn out and burdened. Listen, Jesus is not hard to please. Did you know that? Did you know that this morning? He's not hard to please. He just wants us to trust him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He wants us to simply trust him. Say, I trust you, Lord. And all that really matters, listen, all that really matters is what he thinks. Ultimately, am I pleasing him? Lord, is this pleasing to you? And it is when we trust him and walk with him. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for the weight of this passage.